0: I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic.
1: Thank you, thank you. Love
0: you much. Most illogical. I out. Well, that was different. Yep. Rousey, but different. Oh, Places, boy. please.
1: Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, blast neurons, chickens and things to episode 29 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve.
0: And I'm Jarman. And we are here to compare, contrast and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve?
1: The Muppets and Star Trek. We have been and will continue to do one to one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series.
0: And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Nancy Walker and Star Trek original series episode Operation Annihilate.
1: Before we get to those, Jarman, do we have any feedback?
0: We sure do. Uh, This is long overdue. An email sent a while back from old time friend of the show and real life rocket scientist, Ian Cohen. If you go back to our uh, Play on Nerds podcast, the main show on our feed, uh, we interviewed him a while back and uh, he sent us an email just recently. He says, hey, Jarman and Steve, I hope you two, I hope you two and your loved ones are doing well in these crazy times. Steve, congrats on welcoming little Dale. It's daddy number two. It's a wild ride. Yay. Confirmed. Confirmed. Uh, I've been meaning to send a note for a while because I still listen to the burgeoning apon buffet of of podcasts religiously. I can read. I promise. Unfortunately, it tends to be (laughs) I've been reading all day, so uh, it's a little rough. Unfortunately, it tends to be a while. It tends to be while I'm mowing the lawn or working on some household project, for example, building a new shed, re- finishing my basement, building a bed. That's all, all very impressive. And I always think of things I want to say or share it with you, but by the time the end of the day rolls around, when I can actually get to it, I can't because the kids have to go to bed or something else, or it's usually forgotten. But this time I made a point to do it. Anywho, that was just a long intro for me to say that I love all the new content. But still do love the old classic OG, A Play on Nerds podcast too. I still highly recommend it and now Muppet Trek to friends when they ask for podcast recommendations. Thank you, Ian. We appreciate that. Um, I hope you two keep it up. I definitely appreciate the weekly cadence and would love to come back on for a future episode of something if you guys want to talk about space stuff. Like Octocopter missions to Titan, which sounds awesome. Or planning new missions to Uranus and Neptune, which also sounds awesome. Or DIYing stuff around the house. Hashtag nerds like to nerd nerds like tools too. Very nice. And thanks to work, I can assure Steve that I now have a fairly high quality headset with a microphone. It still pains me that the audio quality on my original APON episode chagrined him so all the it's best. It's one of Ian. my dark
1: spots as well.
0: It's one of your dark me. spots as well. Yes. So he's got a better microphone.
1: expert on it. I couldn't understand half of it. <laughs> 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 well, Ian, we'll have to have you come back on at some point.
0: Yeah, we can do, we do a special Play on Nerds episode about space, you know?
1: Well, I mean, we do a show that involves space basically every week. Uh, <laughs> Star called Muppet Trek. Trek we talk about Muppet, Muppets and Star Trek, and pigs uh, in space. So maybe we can have him come on and comment on like the validity of, of the episode we're watching or something. That's true. That could be
0: fun. A particularly sciencey episode of Star Trek. We'll have him on and talk about. There'll probably
1: be some denser ones coming up. It'll happen.
0: Oh, well, they're they're sure to be. Absolutely. So not the same, next. Yeah. The,
1: the next one's literally a fight, but you know. <laughs>
0: but yes thanks so much ian and we appreciate you still listening and uh don't worry about emailing too much and we'll get back to you about being on the show at some point so thanks for listening man it's awesome yeah so steve tell us about who's in the muppet show this time around this week well
1: this week we have nancy walker
0: who is that uh, she's
1: an actor? comedian, <laughs> Exactly. Actor, comedian, and later a director. She did small character arcs and shows all throughout the 60s and 70s, as well as directing for the Mary Tyler Moore show and Rhoda, which starred Valerie Harper, a prior host of the Muppet show. Mm. But what does our generation know her from? Maybe this episode of the Muppet show <laughs> and reruns at Nick at night. Uh, she passed in 92. So our generation does not have a ton of exposure to her outside of the sort of those classic shows. Gotcha. Uh, McMillan and Wife was another one. She had her own show for a season, the Nancy Walker Show. And that's about it. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So this week on The Muppet Show, on stage, uh Fozzie introduces the show because Kermit's sick. Mm. Uh, he stumbles through the opening monologue and forgets to leave the stage. And the opening number features Crazy Harry and a bunch of sort of Civil War puppets shooting a cannon, missing a target repeatedly uh as others scramble out of the way, only to realize the only safe place is at the target itself. The stage then goes blank. The audience begins to leave. Fozzie rushes out to introduce Nancy Walker, only to realize that he's actually in the next sketch, leaving Scooter to actually make the introduction. <laughs> Nancy sits at a restaurant counter. Every time she orders something from Fozzie, a monster next to her eats it. He slowly eats more and more glasses and vases and stuff until they catch him red handed, uh, only to reveal that Nancy also likes eating things. And she begins to also <laughs> eat glasses and a piece of the counter.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote down that she's mad that the monster's hogging all the inanimate objects. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, up next, we have Veterinarian's Hospital, which randomly has at the dance dancers in the background. It's filled with dance puns and all the jokes you would expect from both sketches sort of all at once. Mm-hmm. After this, we have Rolf uh, and an old man performing My Old Dutch, a sweet song where an old man talks about how much he still li- loves his wife. And even Statler and Waldorf join in and get a little teary eyed. Mm-hmm. Following this is a great sketch where a caged bird is visited by other birds outside the window who create a rhythm and almost song until a giant chicken busts through the wall, freeing the caged birds, shoving its owner in instead. It's a great <laughs> end. Up next is Sam the Eagle with a commentary on nudity. And uh, guess what? He's against nudity until he realizes that he himself is fully nude. It's a real good moment. It's mm-hmm. a real good Sam the Eagle moment. Fuzzy comes out with a new energy and tries to introduce Nancy Walker, but Gonzo confuses him, and instead he introduces Fancy Talker. Nancy and Sweetum sing, you can't take that away from me, both wearing a tuxedo, and Nancy gets to show off a little bit of her tap dancing skills. Backstage this week is where the real action's at. Scooter calls for Miss Walker on standby, but she is being stood on by a giant teal monster. Fozzie gets advice from Kermit over the phone, and his nerves are racked. And tells him everything's fine, only for Gonzo to inform Kermit that the audience has left because the show stopped. (laughs) Gonzo then gets on the phone, bragging about how well Fozzie's doing, but he spills the bean about the explosive explosions and how the audience just tried to leave. Fozzie cuts him off, leaving the phone for Miss Piggy to pick up. Uh, Rolf comes in to tell Piggy that. Fozzie just accidentally introduced at the dance, but they're going out for a veterinarian's hospital, which so that's why they both have at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fozzie sulks backstage where Scooter informs him that the crew wants to quit. The lighting guy is the first guy he needs to talk to because the lights all go out. Fozzie goes to assure Nancy that the show is going fine. She gives him a hard time. So this turns into a lovely backstage musical number called pick yourself up. Uh, he feels better, but then she assures him that the show is really, really in trouble. <laughs> Piggy then visits Nancy's dressing room. Kermit calls. Nancy tells him to drink a lot of liquids and that she's going to bring him some chicken soup only to reveal that he has swine flu. Piggy is not pleased by this joke and chops Kermit through the telephone. (laughs) Ozzie sits moping further. He gets a note from Nancy Walker, giving him some false courage because it turns out that Scooter actually wrote it. Finally, we come to the end of the show. Kermit shows up sick and apologizes, uh, as he comes on stage, he fires Fozzie and then immediately rehires him and brings out Nancy Walker. Uh, she said that she had a wonderful time and even enjoyed working with uh
0: oh, what's his name?
1: The bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is what we call the Muppet show. Indeed. So, Jeremy, what did you think of this episode?
0: I thought overall is a very fun episode. And as I'm often as often the case, I'm very pleasantly surprised by these guest hosts that I'm, I'm not aware of or have never seen them before. Um I thought she was. You know, surprisingly, she's a great dancer, a good singer. Uh, she was funny, um, especially a good dancer. I mean, that whole the, the scene with her and Sweetums dancing, I was really that's, impressed. That's
1: clearly what she wanted to show off.
0: Oh, yeah. And she's got to be almost 60 years old in this episode. Absolutely. Um And she was fantastic. And she looks great. And she was just right on 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 step and everything. And so that was very impressive. You would tell she was bringing up the Sweetums dancer to make him that good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even her singing that that one song um I think it was, was the Fozzy, the Fozzy one not the soft one it was just Pick very up. Yeah, very sweet yeah. soft voice and it was very, you know, reassuring very kind of a lower register voice and it was I, I really appreciated it. Yeah, and um, that kind
1: of almost took the place of the talk spot this week and was that nice that's true. Uh, sentimental almost moment that the, the show typically needs somewhere in it.
0: I didn't think about that but yeah that really kind of was the talk spot since Kermit wasn't there that really kind of was what that took the place of and I liked it and Um, The only thing is the reason she doesn't take like a top spot because she doesn't have like that over the top charisma of someone like a John Cleese or a um, what's his face. I'm forgetting his name. And
1: not only that, there are no super iconic moments in this episode, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: not necessarily. Nothing
1: nothing grabbed me um, the way that some of the other episodes did. I felt that maybe she was underutilized um, in that, you know, what did we really see her in? A lot of backstage stuff, certainly. True. Like what in the actual show did we see her in?
0: She had the, the diner scene and then she the had the tap scene? dance. You scene. can't take it away from me. That's mm-hmm. it. That
1: was the only things in this show. That's the only thing she started. And
0: I'd argue Except the talk spot was basically kind of her third little thing that she had.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't on stage. You know, because right. the way I break it down is all like what what did the Muppet audience see, quote unquote, and then what's actually happening backstage? There wasn't a
0: big Ethel Merman moment at the end, you know, right. that kind of thing. It never
1: hit that 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 pinnacle. I yeah. think. And then maybe that's what I was missing. That's true. Uh, but she connected with the Muppets well, which is more than you can say for some hosts.
0: Exactly. That's kind of like the litmus test for every host. It's like, do they connect with the Muppets well? Then it's going to be at least a decent episode. And this one, I think, surpassed decent and went to like a high middle category for me. And I love the Sam the Eagle on nudity. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, I love that the vet because the vet hospital and that the dance are typically just filled with puns and then they mix and, the puns together to make them medical and dance related, which I thought was yeah. really funny.
1: That, that was a cute mix.
0: Yeah, that was really cute. So it as it was original too, mixing those things together. So they're, they're already playing on their their tropes, which yeah. is kind of fun. So, yeah, I think overall, very solid episode
1: i good. Let's talk a little bit about the music. This episode, a uh, night train, which is the song that was played to the cannon sketch is an intro- instrumental that you'll recognize. <singing> uh, and the original version was recorded in 1940 by Duke El- uh, Duke Ellington. Yeah. But it was made famous in the sixties when James Brown covered it and sped it up like almost two or three times the speed. Um, and it became like a dance break number for him in his show.
0: It's Watch also it's kind of used quite a bit for classical burlesque as well. That number. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause it's very saucy and sassy as well. Uh,
1: My old Dutch. It's a music hall and vaudeville song uh, from the turn of the century by a guy named Albert Chevalier. Hmm. He started as an actor, but he didn't like it. And then he became a burlesque com- comedian. Hey. <laughs> uh, and then he got moved to a big music hall stage because the sort of crass humor came into, into fashion, so to speak. And he was so he was one of these early, like crass humors at these nicer music hall stages. Did that for a while. But then suddenly every music hall had a crass humor guy and he'd be kind of kind of another face in the crowd. Um, So he left that as well. And his final performance was in 1920 uh, when this song was turned into a straight play. Hmm. My old Dutch became a play.
0: All these damn things are plays. It seems weird. It's weird. (laughs) But who is that Uh, old Muppet that sings that song? I've never seen him before.
1: uh, He does another. I think he did a song in season one. I can't remember his name. It's like him Old and the guy. Phantom
0: Muppet are the only British Muppets, I think.
1: Oh, Uncle Deadly. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can see that.
1: <laughs> uh, pick yourself up. It's from the movie Swing Time from the writer Jerome Kern. And we've mentioned it before because he's the writer of Showboat and classics like Old Man River and Can't Help Lovin' That Man.
0: Old Man River.
1: And uh, you said everything's a play. Well, guess what? You can't take that away from me. That's actually from a movie. Mm. Not a stage musical. It was from Shall We Dance, which was it was a huge coup because instead of getting film composers to do it, they got the Gershwins to do it. Oh, gotcha. And so in Hollywood, it was this big uproarious kind of thing because it wasn't the norm. Gotcha. But because of that, a lot of people think that it's from stage. It's not. It's from a movie. Hmm. So, Darn, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week?
0: Oh, I have to say, hands down, the Crazy Bird segment. So for those of you who can't see this episode or haven't seen it. It's just, just a man sitting in his house, the bird singing in his bird cage, and the bird starts attracting birds to the window, but it's all the other bird muppets they have pretty much. And then yeah. out of nowhere, as Stephen said, a giant bird bursts through the wall like, like the high sea guy. What's his name? The Kool-Aid man. Kool-Aid man. <laughs> and, then, so, <laughs> and then just picks up the man muppet and puts him in the cage and closes the cage on him. And then the man muppet comes back to life with a hand. So it's like that whole thing must have been so hard to choreograph. and was Insane with busting down the wall, and so just that was my favorite muppet moment.
1: Uh, I think I'm going to give it to uh, the veterinarian's hospital at the dance just because of the sheer m- number of puppeteers that that's were true. in there, yeah. Um, and moving and having to interact and come forward to take spotlight from the camera, and it, that was just very impressive.
0: I didn't think about that, that's true. You have to always remember there's people underneath all those freaking puppets, that's right. There's a lot of hands, <laughs> a lot of hands. A lot of smelly armpits. Um, Oh, I'm sure.
1: Jarvan, tell us about this week's episode of the original series that we watched.
0: So this is the last episode of the uh, series, uh, the season one of Star Trek, the original series. So this is kind of a little important thing here, but they didn't really do important finales back in the 60s. So this isn't really like a landmark episode of Star Trek by any means. Um, But we had the Enterprise tracking a path of apparent mass insanity that has affected several planets uh, collapsing their civilizations. And it appears to be affecting planets in a straight line across the galaxy on the map, as Spock points out. And they are approaching one of the planets nearby, uh, one of the affected planets called Deneva. And this also happens to be where Kirk's brother Sam and his wife and child are stationed. We didn't know Kirk had a brother until now, but apparently he does. And when the Enterprise enters the system, they see a ship that is diving toward the local sun. And right before it disintegrates, they hear the pilot rant and rave and then say, He is free! I'm free from this thing! So that's weird. And without any kind of (laughs) protection from all the possible foreign bodies that could be on this planet or whatever is causing this insanity, they don't protect themselves at all. Spock, Bones and Kirk go down with some meaningless crew and they beam down to Deneva to investigate or Deneva, I should say. Um, A group of angry men immediately rush them as they land on the planet and they start attacking them. So the security detail stuns them and they fall over. And Bone dis- Bones discovers with his tricorder that they, even though they're knocked out, their brains are still in angry overdrive, basically. They're still like infuriated when they're knocked out. So they further search the planet, and they find Kirk's brother's place. His brother Sam is already dead, and his nephew is comatose, and his sister-in-law is acting crazy, and then she passes out. So Bones brings those two survivors back to the ship to examine them. And he finds that they are suffering much in the same way as those crazy men who attacked them, where they're just going crazy with anger and pain. So after getting a painkiller from Bones, uh, Kirk's sister-in-law is able to talk just enough to tell them that horrible things are spreading from planet to planet, inhabiting people's bodies like body snatchers, uh, in order to make them build ships. And she can't say much more than that before she dies, which I thought was very rude of her. Uh, Kirk and Spock then go back to the planet to find these things that she was talking about, and they eventually find them. And they look—if correct me if I'm wrong, Steve—like flying gooey fried eggs. Would that be yeah. accurate? <laughs> yeah. Something like that.
1: There, there was something in another. Um, I wish I could remember. What it was there was something in another sci-fi film that was very re- reminiscent of something recent?
0: Yeah, I can't think. I I think I might know what you're thinking of. I don't know what it is, Kim. Yeah, but if you're like in like a
1: the blob, maybe kind
0: of. <laughs> if you're a fan of classic Doctor Who, though, that's also in the '60s and early '70s. It's a lot of that kind of special effect. So, yeah. But it appears that these flying fried eggs are resistant to phaser fire. So um, before they can escape, them one attacks Spock and latches onto his back, and Kirk rips it off. But Spock still keels over in pain before he could do anything else. So, back on the Enterprise, uh, Bones figures out that the creatures had injected something into Spock's spinal column, and it would be much too hard to remove it surgically without killing him or anyone else who's already infected by these things. So, Spock wakes up, and he's in extreme pain. Um, Bones sedates him, but when Spock wakes up again, he is alone with Nurse Chapel, and he knocks her over and runs to the bridge where he tries to take over the ship. So, five men finally tackle him down, and Bones sedates him again. But when he awakens again, he's in bonds and he uh, apologizes to Kirk for his earlier outburst and says that now he has control over the creatures because of his Vulcan mind techniques. Uh, But Kirk still says he should remain restrained for now just to be safe. Um, They leave him alone and he breaks free of his bonds, heads down to the transporter room and tries to subdue Scotty in security so he can beam down to the planet. Uh, Scotty stops him. Kirk comes down to hear Spock say that he is fit for duty. He promises Uh, But since he's already infected, it'll be safe for him to go down and get a specimen of the creatures um, Mm. instead of anybody else. Finally, Bones and and Kirk, they agree and say he should go down. And he manages to get one and brings it back. One of the fried uh, gooey eggs. Uh, And Spock. on on it.
1: What was that? Some ketchup's on it. Like yeah, some ketchup on
0: it. He has it for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so Spock brings it back to the Enterprise, and they determine that each of these creatures is one cell in a hive mind, and each of them is nearly indestructible on its own. Um, but they remember that the ship pilot they first saw when they entered the system, he said he was finally free of the creature right before he blew up in the sun. So they start to experiment with different properties of the sun to kill the specimen, but none of it works. Uh, they tried radiation. They tried heat, and nothing happens. So Kirk tells Spock and Bones they must find a solution because they will not take the solution of blowing up the planet just to stop these creatures. Right. Who could do that? So Kirk eventually figures out that they didn't um, they didn't think of using just bright light to kill the creatures instead of their past experiments with heat and radiation. So they try that on the specimen and bright light kills it. Uh, But Spock tells them that before they can deploy this on the planet, they must try it on him first. And they agree And so they use such a bright light that it kills the creature inside of him, but it also blinds Spock in the process. And right then, I don't know why they didn't wait 10 minutes to find these results before they did that to Spock. Mm -hmm. Um, They find out from the dead creature that they would only had to use UV light to kill the creature and not bright light that we can actually see. So they didn't have to blind Spock, but too late. They already did. So then the uh, Enterprise deploys satellites around the planet and it bombards it with UV lights, killing all the creatures, but blinding no one. Um, And before they leave the planet's orbit, Spock reappears in the bridge and he's no longer blind because apparently Vulcans have a third inner eyelid that protects them from bright light. So he was only temporarily blinded. And that's the episode. (laughs) So, Steve, what did you think of this episode?
1: Uh, All right. So things I liked. They started quick, which was nice. Uh, Immediately got into it with Bones and Spock and Kirk speculating, trying to figure out what this madness is. Drew you in because they were figuring it out in that moment as well, Mm -hmm. which I liked. Uh, some very Borg-esque sort of aspects, the hive mind. That's true, uh, and, like and proto-Borg. The, right, sort of. Um, and just the the not knowing what they were, and even that felt sort of the same. Uh, great effects for the leech things, both the visuals and the movement. Like when it flew across and attached to Spock, I was like, wow, that was great. And really, you split.
0: thought that was great? <laughs> that,
1: I thought I thought the effect went really well. It was corny, but you know, it's not like I saw a ton of wires. And the movement was nice and quick, and seemed like they were a volatile creature not not like the uh, what the hell was that the, the goofy lava thing?
0: Oh, the devil in the dark. Yeah, where the- I was like,
1: I can't imagine that sneaking up on anyone.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, well, I was going to say it's very forgiving of you because my girlfriend was watching this and she was cracking up at those things when they were, it was attaching to Spock's uh, back and everything.
1: Out of nowhere, we get a Nurse Chapel appearance. Like yes. For the first time, it's like episode seven or nine or something. I missed her. Uh, and then this is the first space parasite I've, or like disease that I feel like they've really sufficiently explained. Okay. Like a lot of times they leave it up in the air as to what it does or what it can do. And this time I feel like because they were figuring it out, they were figuring it out and we got to figure it out too.
0: Because we had like Miri, that episode where everyone dies when they become an adult with that disease. Then we had like the salt vampire thing, but they didn't. Yeah, there's not a lot of explanation power going around there. Yeah, You just
1: have to accept it. But in this case, they were actively discovering it. Yeah. Uh, Things I disliked, that actress who screamed a lot. And then like gave away exposition. It just wasn't well played, whether it was her, the director, whatever. I
0: thought she did a good she just, job. She was really, really selling it. Was it. Okay. She was really going um, for the walls.
1: <laughs> and then there was about probably about two thirds of the way through after Spock had been infected, but he'd regained control of himself. But the entire plot felt like it didn't know what to do to move forward. Mm. Even with Spock going down to the planet, even when he came back up, like that was a great thing. He came back up and they got back on the ship and then it felt once again, like they didn't know how to move the
0: plot forward. Gotcha. Moved a little slow, um, aside.
1: Yeah. So for an episode that had such great pace for the first two thirds, it really made me disappointed that it kind of dissipated in that last bit. Gotcha. Uh, but overall, I found this to be a very enjoyable episode.
0: Yeah, it was. I don't remember it being this entertaining, and it was actually a really good, entertaining, solid episode. I thought too. Cool. Uh, Yeah. So so you got some facts? I do. So some trivia for this episode real quick. Uh, This is one of only two occasions in the original series, which um, arguably contained profanity. So Dr. McCoy uses the expression damnable logic, which likely was softened from damn to get approval by the networks. Um, Because during the 1960s, damn and hell were usually considered unacceptable on television. Mm -hmm. Um, But this remained the case until all in the family in 1971. Um, when they started allowing damn and hell That's because since we were kids You could always say damn and hell on TV as far as I, I yeah. know um, And that's and actually the Last episode so last time the first time They had profanity which let's get the hell out of here From Captain Kirk and edge of the forever Oh okay yeah so if They had hell now they have damn um, And here's some in the weeds prop trivia Which I just enjoy for some reason um, This is the first time uh, McCoy's lab is seen You've seen the sick bay but you've never seen his lab Um, And inside the lab, the prop used previously as Balok's lamp device in the uh, Corbomite maneuver. Yeah. (laughs) Tranya. (laughs) 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 It can be seen sitting on a shelf in McCoy's lab, which is kind of funny. Cool. And uh, different components of a sick bay were added over the first season, such as the decompression chamber seen in Space Seed is also in his lab, which Uh is pretty cool. And one of the life support canisters used in the botany bay is also there.
1: They certainly cut away to that that weird graph with moving stuff that we don't really have any context as to what any of those lines mean.
0: Oh no, never.
1: They cut it, they and they've done that in other episodes too. It's we'll like coil a bl- turn and they cut to it. And I'm like, I don't, is that good?
0: <laughs> and it's like the panels and all the uh, stations on the, on the bridge, like they all just blinking lights with no labels on them. So you have no mm-hmm. idea what anything is. Um, and in reference to the, the alien race that Steve mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the blasto neurons. Uh, that's the name of these creatures, which is only mentioned in the Starfleet medical reference manual, not in any episode. So they're called Blasto Neurons. Wow. Um, and the last one in the original script for this installment, no mention is made of the parasites being vulnerable to light in the original script. Uh, the Enterprise is able to locate their home planet and destroy it with two oh. p- Planet Wrecker missiles. Uh, this results in all of them dying wherever they are. So I could see why they didn't do that. Cause it's not very Starfleet to do. No,
1: it's not very star Trekky.
0: And to have planet wrecker missiles in the first place is not very star Trekky. Yeah. They would have a
1: more clever name than that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe called peacekeepers or something. Like real, uh,
0: shoot off the bullshit-y. peacekeepers buck. Yeah. <laughs> so this is being the last episode of this season, as we did with Muppets, we're going to do the top three and bottom three episodes of this season. So Steve, why don't you start us off? Uh, let's talk about the worst first.
1: Sure. So for me, the worst, uh, and this is in no particular order, uh, the naked time. Okay. (laughs) Between the idiot crew member instigating the entire situation and the ill-defined parameters of the disease that it caused. It was just overall a fail for me. Gotcha. Uh, tomorrow is yesterday. Uh, we've seen a lot of time travel, but this one was probably the most ill-defined <laughs> uh, and there were weird motive changes throughout that didn't make sense. As the guy betrayed them, and then we weren't—we couldn't even quite tell if he was like his consciousness was transferred or if he was tra- Like there were just too many questions, and it wasn't that good. Any, it wasn't—it wasn't a good enough episode to justify all those questions.
0: It's where they go to the 1960s and they go to the military base and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and finally, the alternative factor, which we just watched recently, uh, "Evil Lazarus" and "Good Lazarus."
0: Ooh, that almost made my list as being pretty damn were, bad.
1: Were <laughs> real bad. Um, the drawn-out plot points and bad, repeated effects. Um, the like, just lack of any security on the Starship Enterprise as this guy like made his way around and just did whatever he wanted <laughs> was just so like all the like they just had to ignore common sense to even make the plot happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get my bottom three here. Uh, So I'm surprised you didn't put in your list any episodes that had a deus ex machina uh, spiritual creature at the end like we always hate.
1: (laughs) There were some that were close. Charlie X very, very nearly made it.
0: (laughs) So Charlie X is on my bottom three uh, because on its own, not that terrible of an episode. In context that we have the almost the exact same episode happened the next episode in where no man has gone before. Mm -hmm. um, It's bad. Because even though Charlie X happens before Where No Man goes bef- gone, Has Gone Before, it's a much worse episode, and Charlie is so annoying. Um, so I wish it didn't exist, and they just had Where No Man Has Gone Before with um, – oh, I forgot the name of his character, Gary Gary something or another. But it's you know it's Kirk's friend who becomes all-powerful and then falls in love with the lady. She stays there with him. That episode is much more compelling, more interesting. Charlie X is just annoying, so it gets on my list because of that. Uh, then I have The Menagerie 1 and 2. Uh, which I'm putting as one episode because it's that the only two episode, two parter we have in the season. And that's where they recap the the pilot basically because it's really long. It feels like it was all filler um, for us now, but I know right back then they didn't have the pilot on TV. So this is the first right. time they're seeing this footage. But for me, it was a slog getting through it. And it's yeah, funny. Episode
1: two of that, especially because yeah. there, there was so few, little cutback.
0: And it's weird because my mom, that's one of her favorite episodes because she liked it when, um, she saw it because it just tells this man's story and she thinks that it was all cohesive. For me, I'm like, this is a boring recap. So, <laughs> tweets their own. And my last one would be make everyone mad is Arena. Um, because I think this is also because of context and time. <laughs> Arena is where he fights the Gorn. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode of Next Generation with Captain uh, Picard, who he, is called Darmok. Where he's also placed on a planet through weird circumstances and has to get along with somebody that he thinks he's there to fight. That's a classic. Classic. And they have to learn how to talk to each other and communicate. That felt like what Arena was trying to do, but with like a blunt object in the 1960s. And it's just – it just drags on. There's a lot of running around. And instead of – they miss the opportunity of – they even say in the episode, Kirk says, um, oh, he's obviously much stronger than me. I'll never beat him in hand-to-hand combat. I got to be smart. And then in the end, he just beats him with a blunt object. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there's
1: no smarts that happen. Except he does make like a what a
0: like a pistol a gun thing,
1: cannon or something,
0: it's real bad. But that's not even what ends up like winning him the whole, whole situation. I don't no. know. So it's just it was a missed opportunity. I think it's not that great of an episode. It's just I think the silly Gorn has stood the test of time, and that's the only reason it's popular. Um, so yeah, that's my arbitrary bottom three. So what's your top three, Steve? All
1: right, so top three. Once again, no particular order. I've got Mud's women. Okay. Uh, Mud was just such a good character. The concept was original and good. It's I like it anytime that someone really gets an upper hand on Kirk in a way that isn't physical. Like it was nice to see someone just outmaneuver him. Right. Um, and then Mud was such a good character. Just
0: he's a lot of fun. So good.
1: Uh, same, very similar to the next one, Squire of Gothos. Mm. with the like pompy dandy guy. He was just such a strong villain that it gave everyone something to, to play off of and to really push at mm-hmm. and a center for, and a focal point for scenes. And that's something that's kind of missing, especially in these episodes, like the one we just watched where there's no direct villain. There's no face to the villain. That's true. Um, and then finally, I've got to go with the one that I thought was overall the best acted of anything we watched so far. And that's the conscience of the King. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, with I thought you Kodos, liked that one. The murderer and all the Shakespeare and just good dialogue with Kirk and other people, which is not something you get to see often.
0: And it was all in the ship, basically. I mean, yeah. there's one scene like a town down, but it's like a really simple set. Like it didn't have to do much.
1: Um. So, yeah, I think that, that those three are probably right at the top for
0: me. Well, I think Star Trek writers take note because uh, my three have a similar uh, theme in that there's a common – there's a, a central villain kind of at the, the, each one of them. And Squire of Gothos is also one of mine. I Dang. also have my top three because – and also, I love it in the context of greater Star Trek because in my mind, he is a Q and Q becomes such a big thing later on. And in the books, they do say that Gothos is, in fact, a, a, a baby Q, basically, um, who's like – do you know anything about Q and everything? with next? Yeah, generation? They're, they're
1: like all-powerful Matter creation beings, and, and they're stuff, kind of right? like
0: mischievous pan like beings, kind of thing, too. So, um, but yeah, I, just, I love that episode. He's a great actor, he goes on to play Klingon later on, and he's fantastic. Um, but then I also have the corporate might maneuver because it's just a classic I've always loved. I love the Tranya and all that stuff, <laughs> and it has it has my one of my favorite Kirk moments that I feel defines Kirk in the way I want to remember him. Is he comes up with this bluff of saying, like. Oh, well, obvi- we have this material on board that if you blow us up, it'll destroy you too. So go ahead, shoot us. We don't care. You'll die too. Um, and he, he, he bluffs him out of it and it's great. And then they become friends at the end. And it's just a very well-crafted episode. Um, and then I have Space Seed because it is it has a lot of missteps and it could have been better, I felt. Especially because that once again, Kirk just beats him with fists, which shouldn't be the way it, it works. in because- a
1: piece of pipe at yeah. That
0: <laughs> <laughs> That shouldn't be the way it ended, but I think overall, it's just, you can't beat Ricardo Montauban just chewing the scenery and it's just against Kirk. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, so yeah, those are my top three all for right. the season one.
1: Well, good. Well, now <laughs> we've made it all the way through season one and season two of the Muppet show. We're on to season one of the Muppet show, season one of the original series. I'm tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> you got it. And now we're on to season two for both. And that's exciting.
0: It is exciting. Both shows are going to evolve a little bit as we watch them. Just a little bit over time. Yeah, absolutely. So what are our similarities this week for our two episodes?
1: Both feature infections, the weird creatures and Kermit with the swine flu.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I put just like we've never heard of Kirk's brother before. We've never seen this random British old Muppet before either. (laughs) Uh,
1: Spock is being controlled like a puppet, just like the puppets in the Muppet show. (laughs)
0: Well done. Uh, I put Nancy Walker tells Fozzie, but listen, that's just a song. Your song, your your show is in serious trouble. Uh, just like Spock may be covering up the pain, but that doesn't mean his body and mind isn't still in serious trouble. Mm. Uh,
1: some In both, somebody shows up to do their job despite being ill. Spock uh, and his uh, infection and Kermit showing up at the end.
0: Very well played. Well played. That, that's pretty much all I have. Yeah. Oh, God. Transporter malfunction. Transporter (laughs) malfunction. So now it's part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve?
1: All right. So coming from Trek to the Muppets, I've got uh, bringing a bunch of those weird jellyfish things over (laughs) and replace the one in the bird cage. Nice. (laughs) And and just more and more of them gather at the window until they all swarm that guy and kill him.
0: And just make that noise, yeah. blah, 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 whatever noise yeah, they're, they're just making,
1: gurgling noises, but it's kind of like a cute pattern. It'd still be the same number, I think. <laughs>
0: Pretty much. He still gets screwed at the end. That's right. Um, I put the monster in the diner scene with uh, Nancy Walker. We'll replace one of the red shirts on the first away mission to this planet, Dene- Deneva, I think, because uh, he can obviously eat anything. So he could just go around and eat all the flying gooey fried eggs and end the problem. And uh, the rest of the inhabiting bodies of the colonists will be so scared. They'll just jump out of their bodies and run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your second one?
1: Uh, So uh, take Dr. Bob and uh, transport him over to take the place of McCoy, because that's about how useful McCoy felt this week.
0: Yeah, because in the end, Spock and Kirk are the ones who came up with the ways to beat these things.
1: I feel like there's a lot of episodes where, like, McCoy's the doctor and he's the last one to figure it out.
0: It's always Spock, usually. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's always Spock. Um, That's obviously not really the case, but it feels like Spock outshines him.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's like Spock shouldn't be good at everything. Uh. All (laughs) right, well, I had a Spock should come over to replace Scooter. Uh, because Spock would be much better at being Fozzie's support while Kermit is gone and he would have kept Gonzo away so he wouldn't screw up Fozzie's intros and Spock would keep everything so organized there would be no way Fozzie could screw up. So, That's right. There you I go. Agree with that. Just yeah. like Kirk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that uh, brings us to the end of the episode 29 of the Muppet Trek podcast.
1: Join us next time for episode 30 uh, with Muppet Show's special guest, Rich Little.
0: And original series episode, A Mock Time.
1: So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us.
0: Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on
1: Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.